ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm going to just warn you in advance, we're going all over the place today. There's much, much, much to talk about. There's actually much, much, much to talk about last week, but I was miserable when I was recording Friday's episode. Actually, I recorded it on Friday. That's why I was late. I usually do it on Thursdays, but I went to the orthodontist. Did I tell y'all about this last week? That episode was a blur. I was so damn unhappy. I went to the orthodontist on Thursday and forgive me if I'm retelling this. I had to get elastics, rubber bands for my braces. And I was in so much, not pain, but discomfort. Cause you know, the point of the elastics is to realign my teeth, which includes moving my jaw with the help of very tight rubber bands that I have to wear for the next 60 days at least. I was like, are you serious right now? I wrote about it on Instagram, so I may not have mentioned it on the podcast. I try to separate the two. But oh my God, I was so miserable. And even when I took the bands out to record, because like my teeth and jaw had been pulled for like hours at a time, it didn't stop hurting. And I took like two Tylenol. Ugh, it was terrible. So I apologize for the lack of enthusiasm last week. If you made it through last week's episode, I didn't even check the numbers because I was like, yeah, I know that was a bad episode. I knew it when I uploaded it. But what you want me to do? Got to deliver. So, But I feel much better this week. I don't know if you can hear a difference in my speech. I have my bands in right now. I rarely take them out. I take them out to switch them three times a day. But you're supposed to like take them out to eat and whatever else. I just, I just be like, fuck it. I'm not eating. I've lost like four pounds since Thursday. I think a pound of that, though, was my hair. I took my braids out, so I have, like, regular... I would say blonde hair, but, like, half of it is black at this point. I think I'm going to let it go black again. I may dye it black again, too. I'm not sure. It's still, like, all twisted up from Saturday's wash. So as I record this, I look like Seely. When I have somewhere to go, I'll untwist my hair. In the meantime, your CDC has announced that we no longer have to wear masks, which I was like, go fuck yourself. That don't even sound right. Not even half the country is vaccinated. I think it's only 36% of people have their full vaccinations. I am not one of them. I get my second shot on Wednesday, which I am both anticipating and dreading because everyone talks about how they got so sick for 48 hours after the second shot. And I was like, no, I have shit to do this week. I got to record the podcast on Thursday and I have two really important meetings that day as well. So I'm not looking forward to this shot. Hopefully I won't have really bad side effects. Some folks just say they just got like really, really tired and slept all day, which is, you know, I could wake up for a couple hours to do meetings. That also means the podcast on Friday might be late. I'm telling y'all that in advance. Oh, while I'm telling you things in advance, don't waste your pretty. The T's and the V's and the mugs are on DemetriaLLucas.com. If you want your T's and your V's, the pink and red, the white and gold, Pink and red is just tees. White and gold are V's and tees. They are available on DemetriaLLucas.com. And the Don't Waste Your Pretty Mugs. Notice a lot of you are buying like two. Like one pink and one red. Thank you. What was I talking about before that? Oh, the CDC. The CDC has said the vaccinated people don't have to wear their masks outside anymore and indoors. I saw earlier today, Target is removing its mask mandate, along with a bunch of other places. And I was like, you're out your goddamn mind if you think I'm going out without a mask already. 
And I know plenty of people have been doing it. I see your pictures on social media. If that's how you feel to conduct yourself, I mean, you're grown. I don't agree with it, but you do what you do. I, however, will be in my mask until further notice. Partially because I don't trust folks to be like, oh, I'm vaccinated. Are you? I can still catch COVID fully vaccinated. And while I may not die from it or get like really bad symptoms, I don't want to get sick at all. It's not lost on me that since we started wearing masks back in March 2020, I haven't been sick not once. Like not even a sniffle, not even a light cough. Like I'm good. I like to stay that way. My mouth also looks like a construction site. Like it's so, oh God, like I hate looking in the mirror right now. It's so bad. So the mask also works in my favor that way. I'll be in a mask at least for the next three months until I get these elastics off. Like I can live with having braces. Like, okay, but like the elastics, it's also changing the structure of my face. Like, ugh, but at least it doesn't hurt anymore. That makes me happy. Much news, much news, much news. I'm pulling up my notes real quick. Let's start with the good news. Remember the scientist, the black scientist who Dr. Fauci, remember he was trying to get black people to get vaccinated? And he was like, the lead scientist is black. She wouldn't hurt you. She's trying to help you. Her name was Dr. Kizmika. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Kizmika Corbett. She just joined Harvard as an assistant professor. And good for her. She's, she's happy about it. She made an announcement. She seems thrilled. And I'm happy for her. But I'm also like, assistant? Earlier this year, Corbett was highlighted in the Time 100 Next List. She was under the category of innovators. And her profile was written by none other than Dr. Fauci. In that profile, Dr. Fauci wrote of Corbett that she has been, quote, central to the development of the Moderna vaccine and her work will have substantial. Oh, I can hear the bands when I try to do S words. My bad. Her work will have substantial impact on ending the worst respiratory disease pandemic in more than 100 years. Okay, that's big. You were central to the development of a vaccine that saved millions of lives. I mean, we lost 600,000 just in the U.S. alone, but you saved millions of lives with this vaccine. Literally, you saved lives. Assistant professor? I don't know the way academia works. Like, I don't know if you have to go in as an assistant and then you work your way up to professor after a certain number of years. I don't know. Someone in academia reach out to me. Let me know so we can talk about it on the next podcast. Let me know if there's some track that you must be put on, that you must go in as assistant professor. Because I just feel like, you know, you develop a vaccine that saves the world. Maybe you could be a full-fledged professor. I don't know. Literally, I don't know. Somebody help me. Somebody tell me because I want to be informed. And other good black news, Don Lemon has a new show on CNN. It's seemingly exactly like the show that he's had for the last seven years. But Don on Friday scared the living bejesus out of viewers. He announced that his show CNN Tonight with Don Lemon was a wrap. Everybody freaked out and was like, oh, my God. He said Friday was his last day on CNN Tonight with Don Lemon. Don made the announcement on air and then had to come back on social media and was like, wait, 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 calm down. I'm not leaving CNN. I will be back on Monday. Tune in for an announcement about what's coming next. And we're like, you couldn't have just said that on air instead of freaking everybody out, which I think was probably the point. Don Lemon is not a stupid man. He is not. He's literally paid to deliver news in a succinct and digestible fashion. That was intentional. But Don will be getting a new show on CNN, which again, 
Sounds exactly like the old show. This one is called Don Lemon Tonight. Took the CNN out. But it's a notable change in title. CNN Tonight with can easily be replaced by someone else. Don Lemon Tonight, that's Don Lemon's show. So good for him. The new show, according to CNN's description, says Don Lemon will bring you the biggest stories, newsmakers, and spirited conversations of the day. Again, not quite sure how that differs from the current show. But we shall see. I think it's also worth mentioning that the new change comes because Don has been doing amazingly well on CNN. First quarter of 2021, CNN Tonight was the most watched program at 10 p.m. among viewers between 25 and 54. The program also notched its best average of total views, 1.89 million during that period. Good for him. Don Lemon is a testament to the amazing arc of life. My grandmother, may she rest in peace, used to say about like everything, like anything would come up and I'd be so distraught, like why, why, why? And she'd be like, just keep living, just keep living, just keep living. And I didn't really understand for a very long time what she meant, actually until like the last maybe few months or so. Like I knew what she said and I knew what it meant in theory, but I didn't really get it. But then you live long enough, like she said, and you watch some things that you never thought would happen, happen. You see some people rise and you see some people fall and you just see some things occur that you was like, well, now old people like to be like, oh, I'll be. Yeah, I get it now. Had to live long enough to get it. Just keep living. And I don't say this to disparage Don Lemon in any way. I say this as a testament to his growth and to talk about the arc of life. But I remember when like Don Lemon was persona non grata. I remember like six, seven years ago. Actually, it might have been longer than that. I remember Don Lemon went on this. I don't want to call it a tirade, but I will anyway, just because how stupid it was. But Don Lemon came up with like this list of like how black folks could be better received. And it was very like Cosby Pound Cake-esque. Black people would be better received if you like uh, didn't litter. It's like, really, nigga? Is littering going to stop police brutality? Pull up your pants. I'm like, what does that have to do with fucking anything? Very often when I see people espousing respectability politics in terms of dress, someone always reminds them that Martin Luther King got assassinated in a suit. So did Malcolm X. I mean, I don't particularly care for the look of wearing your ass out, but like, you know, if that's what you choose to do, pulling your pants up is not going to change anything. It was a list of five, I think. I can't remember the other ones, but those were the two worst ones. And Don Lemon was like roasted. I don't think we had the term cancel culture then or cancel him even, but that's pretty much the direction it was going for Don Lemon. But then fast forward eight years, Don Lemon be on CNN sounding like Chairman Fred Hampton sometimes. Like, really? He was gathered, gathered, educated, and reminded of the responsibility of a black man with a platform such as he has. I'm glad that whoever spoke with him did so. Thank you to that person. I'm glad that Don Lemon didn't get canceled way back when for that stupid shit that he said. Because he got a chance to be corrected and he got a chance to evolve. And he's actually a really good voice to have. He actually is. So good for him on his new show. I'll be tuning in tonight. You know how I feel about CNN. I'm like a junkie for CNN. My dad actually said something to me about it. And he was like, you only talk about CNN on the show. And I was like, yeah, because that's mostly what I watch. Like I would talk about NBC, but like I don't have like network TV. That requires effort. I can just download the CNN app and watch it live. I don't even know if I can do that with NBC. Can I? I don't know. I've never tried. And not so good black news. We do have the cancellation of a couple TV shows. Mixed Dish is gone. I've never watched an episode. I've also never watched an episode of Blackish, which I said to somebody the other day, and they were like, 
your black card could be in jeopardy. And I was like, really? Over Blackish? And they were like, yeah, it's actually a really good show. But um, Mixed Dish is gone on to see the king for life. I never watched that one either. I know it was a black male lead. I think he was a lawyer and he was in prison. I don't know rightfully or wrongfully. All Rise on CBS with Simone Missick is being canceled after two seasons. That show has some interesting history. They had a behind-the-scenes scandal with one of their showrunners, and several writers had left the show saying they had issues with the portrayals of gender and race on the show. Five of the seven original writers walked out, and three of them were writers of color. And when that initially happened, that was back in August 2020, instead of firing the showrunner, they paired him with, and I'm reading this from the New York Times, a black female corporate coach. And they said that their internal investigation did not reveal conduct that would warrant removing him. This was in season one. And then they turned around after season two. This is according to Deadline. Even with the corporate coach, things didn't turn around. And the writers who were in the room for season two were offended as well. The network did fire the showrunner after another round of investigations. But I guess it was too late by then. I would usually give a womp womp here. But I don't like to hear of like writers just fighting for like basic respect behind the scenes. And I don't like to hear about the demise of three shows with black leads. That is no good. Have you been watching Pose? I hope so, because I'm going to talk about last night's episode. When Billy, pray tell, call him by his name on the show. When pray tell went home. I didn't figure out where home was. It was an okay episode, but it was also a really good episode. And I only say okay because this is the final season of Pose, which I'm really, really upset about. But to get in all of the things that I think the writers wanted to address in the world of the show, I think they're fast-tracking some things that could have been developed a little slower. Or, let me put this another way. It also could be that I'm upset that the show is ending and I want things to go slower so I can savor it a little bit more. But last night's episode, Pray Tell goes home. His mama is Thelma Fry from Amen. Remember Thelma? I had to go look up her name because like for 25 years, I've been calling this woman Thelma Fry like she didn't have a whole name. Anna Marie Horsford. I'm still going to call her Thelma Fry. You know how I am. Once you have an iconic character, that's your name forever. Jack K. Harry was one of the aunties. Sandra from 227. And then Janet Hubert, a.k.a. OG Aunt Viv. She was one of the aunties as well. She's amazing. Not to say that Thelma Fry wasn't good. Not to say that Sandra wasn't good. They were fine. But Janet Hubert is a really great actress. She really is. And she was annoying as fuck last night. It's like the hyper-Christian auntie. Oh my God, she was so annoying. But she played the hell out of that role. So a couple things about this storyline. So Billy goes home. And one of the people that he encounters is a man who he used to date when he was a teenager. And he is married, with three kids no less, to a woman that was Praytel's best friend when he was young. And Praytel was like, wait a minute. He was like, because she knew all the tea. Everything that happened between us, our whole relationship. So like, she knows I'm gay and she knows you're gay. And she married you? And dude was like, yeah, because that's the way I used to be, but that's not the way I am now. And Billy was like, no, because I'm gay too. And that's not how this whole gay thing works. Like, you can't pray it away. So dude was like, no, no, that's not what it is. 
come to dinner at my house and like, you know, meet my family. So Billy gets to the house. The husband has to run out. And Billy was like, girl, what you doing? And she was like, you know, I'm, I'm living. He's a good man. And he was like, yeah, and he's gay. And so then she says, you notice there's like a five-year gap between like our middle child and our youngest child. And he was like, you know, I really hadn't noticed, but okay, thanks for pointing that out. So she's like, yeah, he wouldn't have sex with me for like five years. And so she's asking him for like tips because her husband was once really into him. She asked him for tips on how to like attract her husband sexually. And I'm kind of like, what? Because I know that's not a story just made for TV. We've all heard stories about people who want to pray the gay away. I was gay, but I'm not gay no more. That's not how it works. And Billy was like, well, it's, he's not going to be sexually attracted to you. Because again, he is gay and you are not a man. And then her husband comes back and was like, Billy, let's take a walk. And they go to wherever they used to hang out as children. It was like 2.5 seconds before a dude was like, Billy, you're the love of my life. I want to leave my family and run off to New York with you on a five o'clock bus. And I was like, wait, two scenes ago, you, sir, you, sir, were the one telling Billy, no, I've changed. I'm different. I've changed. Did you? Can you? I was like, this show is so interesting because like it talks about like the lives, like the ostracized lives of like gay folk, LGBTQIA folk. But it also points out a lot of contradictions in like hetero world as well. It made me think about that. Um, there's a Donnie McClurkland interview. Was it on TV one? I don't remember. It was a few months ago. Donnie McClurkland, who infamously prayed the gay away, said he's not gay no more. Okay. But he did this interview and he was talking about like how he wants to be a husband. and He wants to have a family and he wants to have children, which I was like, you know, you can do that as a gay man. You can do that now and get married and have children. It's, it's, it's fine. It's legal. You, you can do that. But he was talking about how he doesn't feel like he'll ever be in like a relationship. You know, he's lonely and he's sad. And I was like, how awful for you. And I don't say that in, in a judgmental way, but I say that in a way that's just how awful that like you're denying who you are and you've placed the judgments essentially of the church and the church people, really, that's who makes up the church, but you've placed seeking their approval and their judgments above your own happiness to the point that you're willing to not live your life in full to please them. And here you are as a man in what, your 50s, 60s, talking about like you, there's this thing that you want and that you feel like you'll never have it. I think he also said too, like he doesn't know how to love a woman he doesn't know what a woman wants. He doesn't know how to sustain with a woman. That was part of the interview too. And I was like, yeah, because you're gay. If that man don't go find a man and just be happy, you sitting up here waiting for these other people's approval for what? For what? To be just like this character on this show. I can't make my husband want me. He doesn't want me sexually because he wants a man. You're not a man. This ain't going to work, sis. But there are people who do it. I see these pictures sometimes on the internet of women married to obviously gay men. But the wedding pictures are pretty, I guess. It's one thing to do it and be happy. It's another thing to do it and be fucking miserable. Wondering why he don't want me. Because you're not a man. There's nothing you could do about that. And all the reviews of the show that I've read, they're talking about Billy and his singing, which was amazing. He sang down last night. Like I got a stirring in my spirit listening to him sing in that episode. He sounded beautiful. And the actor who played like the young version of Billy, his voice was amazing. 
And then Lettucey sang last night. It was a big, it was a good black church moment last night. Lettucey, my God, that woman can sing. I cannot wait for her role in Mahalia, just for the soundtrack, if nothing else. But everyone keeps talking about Billy singing and Billy's acting. And I was like, so we're just going to skip over the big red flags, like this woman being married to a gay man. Or Billy goes home and he has this confrontation with his mother. And he was like, you know, you let my dad rape me. I told you that he was molesting me and you did nothing. And she looked this grown man dead in his face and was like, but he was a good provider. What? And we've heard so many versions of this story in real life where people are like, hey, I'm being molested. Help me. And the response is, go sit down, have some ginger ale. Why are you interrupting my good thing? It's like you chose this man who was abusing your child over your child. It's outrageous to watch it on TV. It's more outrageous in real life. But like, can we have that discussion? Because I feel like as beautiful as Billy suit was last night and as beautiful as his voice was last night, perhaps a discussion about women prioritizing having a man over the safety of their kid might be a discussion worth also having. Oh God, I had to repeat that three times. He's banned. Or how people sit around to keep up appearances and be miserable as shit to folks that be judging them anyway. Perhaps that may be a discussion worth having along with the beautiful singing in the gorgeous white suit. I'm just saying. Sorry about the typing. My computer went down. I'm looking at my notes. I watched the Underground Railroad. It's a new series on Amazon directed by Barry Jenkins. I feel like Barry Jenkins comes with like an MF Barry Jenkins. Like he got an Oscar. He had another movie. Waves, was it? I didn't see Waves. Everyone talked about how visually stunning it was. Nobody talked about the actual story. That always worries me. The Underground Railroad is beautifully shot. It's, it's gorgeous to look at. I watched it over the weekend and I didn't write a review. I talked about it on Facebook, but I didn't necessarily review it per se. Because I feel like Barry Jenkins is one of those artists. I call him specifically an artist because I think that's what a director is at heart. He's one of those artists that I think that like, if you're black and well-read and degreed and you're supposed to really like Barry Jenkins' work, and I don't want to be like, you know, exile for not liking it. I watched all 10 episodes and for the first six, all I really had was, this is visually stunning. It's not a bad story. I went and looked up the critics because I was like, is it me? Because I don't, I don't love it, but I feel like I'm supposed to love it. And then I went to look to see what the critics were saying. I said, well, let me see like, if they are seeing what I am seeing. And it was just fawning. It was just all this fawning about how like amazing it was. And I was like, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. It's not offensively bad. It's not bad. The main character barely talks. I mean, there's like barely any dialogue for like the first six episodes. It's. It's almost like a silent film. It's, and then it picks up after that. Seven, eight, nine, definitely. The main character actually starts talking. Like for the first six episodes, it's like a sentence here, a sentence there, and everything else is like emoted on her face, which I was like, speak. I mean, unless you're like, you know, trying to be quiet so you don't get captured while running away. It was just, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people talk about the quote unquote trauma porn of it I didn't necessarily think this was trauma porn when I think trauma porn I think gratuitous violence which I don't think is a fair criticism like it's a story about a black woman in America in the antebellum south did you expect it to be anything but violent I don't know how you covered that time period and talk about black people and not talk about the violence 
the horrific violence. And I think in fairness to the, the creatives involved in this process, like there's one very brutal, violent thing that happens in episode one that is explicitly shown. And I do think that kind of went over the top. The camera doesn't shy away from depicting it. And it's very hard to watch. But I think with the number of movies about enslaved Africans, in order to drive home a point about the violence of it, we've seen so much violence that I think when people do films like this, they're always trying to up the ante. Because otherwise, it's just like, oh, okay, we've seen lynchings before. Oh, okay. We've seen feet chopped off. Like, we've seen so much shit that really to, like, shock the audience, you have to keep going crazier and crazier and crazier. There's a camera point of view where a man is set on fire and it's showing the point of view from the man who's burning. Like, it's, it's pretty harrowing. But after that, I think it kind of mellows out. There's other violent depictions. In one of the episodes... There's a series of black bodies that are being that are hung from trees as like a warning, but it's shown in the dark. But so you can see silhouettes of the bodies. So it's, it's not as gruesome as seeing, you know, bright light zoomed in on a hanging body. There's other times where violence is told, but not shown. Like there's a particular character that met a horrific end and the story of what happened to him is told but it's not shown. In the final episode, something terrible happens and you get these half-second visual images, but it never just shows you what happens. I think the series was respectful, mostly, in not showing gratuitous violence. So I don't think the trauma porn accusations that it's getting are accurate, but I was really just watching it to be like, so where is this going? And to say I watched it and to be able to hold an intelligent conversation when it inevitably comes up. But I didn't really love it. I loved episodes of it. But overall, I didn't love it. That's not to say don't watch it. That's just me saying I didn't love it. I watched something else over the weekend, which I'm hesitant to tell y'all about. Because, you know, this whole show is called Ratchet and Respectable. And I like to think that mostly I'm a balance of both. The Upshaws. It's a new series on Netflix starring Mike Epps. As the husband, Kim Fields, i.e. Regine, as his wife, and Wanda Sykes as the auntie. Wanda Sykes is actually pretty fucking amazing in the show. She was the highlight of the series for me. That series as a whole, my respectability politics went off the meter. I am not proud to say it. I'm just telling you what I thought. They are a working class family in the Midwest which I only know from reading a summary of the show. I didn't get that it was Midwest when I was watching it. It's kind of like a Black Dan and Roseanne type of thing. In the first episode, he has four kids. One is a break baby. One is a son that they had together while they were in high school, but he wasn't responsible enough to be an involved father. So he has a difficult relationship with the oldest son who is in his early 20s, I would say. And then they have these two young daughters. One is 13. The other one's about five or six, maybe. And then he has the outside kid who is also about 13 or so. 
In the first episode, it's the daughter's birthday. Actually, it's the son's birthday too, but they're two separate households. So he's supposed to find a venue for his daughter to have her birthday party. He drops the ball because that's the type of dude he is. And he figures the situation out by hosting a party that was supposed to be for his friend who just got out of jail. So the daughter and the family and all of her friends show up to a venue that has a stage and a stripper pole and is decorated with like cutout panties and silhouettes of naked women. They show up to this venue and they see what they see. And the daughter was like, oh my God, this is so cool. A stripper party. And then they stay and have a 13-year-old's birthday party there. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Mike Epps comes across in that first episode as the most incompetent father ever. Like at one point, he forgets whether he has three kids or four. His son is accused of stealing from a teacher. The quote-unquote baby mama, horrible stereotype of a black single mother. She brings the kid to the house and was like, yo, do something with him because he was stealing from the teacher at school. That's totally brushed over. He doesn't even get he doesn't even get punished for it. Like it's just a hot mess of a show. Every negative stereotype of black folks is just all put together in one family and aired on Netflix. And I was like, yo, this is the international representation of black families. Really? I know people think things like that don't matter and that the function of a black show should not be to uplift the race like some shit is just entertainment and if you laugh and you have a good time then what other difference does it make and you're right you're right white shows are not held to that standard white people can be intelligent and they can be stupid and you can have beverly hills 90210 and you can have like the clampets and no one bats an eye at that a function of racism is that black folks don't have that luxury and honest to god when you travel outside of the united states or you travel outside of black areas The depictions of black people in pop culture and on TV and in the news make a huge difference on how you are treated as a black person. And I hate to have to say that, but it's the God's honest truth. I was, uh, I guess I was on Facebook and somebody had reposted this exchange. This white woman had posted a picture of like a really cute white baby, like, like a two month old, like a little chubby cheek, small, like cute baby. So she was like, ah, doesn't this baby just give you baby fever? And this black guy jumped in the comments and he was like, I'll never get baby fever over a white baby. And her response to him was like, you stick around to raise it. I laughed. I did. Cause he should have minded his business. Like you really didn't have to like, I don't know, be snarky about a baby. You really could have let the woman say she had baby fever over this cute baby, a white baby, but a cute baby. Nonetheless, it just let it be. You, you jumped in for that. You jumped in to say some wild shit and she got wilder with you. But I bring that up to say is like those stereotypes, those images, they matter. You cannot give a fuck that they matter, but they matter. And they come up at like the oddest and most reckless of times. Like some guy joking around on the internet and a woman reminding him of the stereotypes about black men that they don't raise their kids. And now there's a whole show on Netflix about it. In fairness to the show, let me say this. I did watch the whole season. It's only 10 episodes, about 30 minutes. I was cleaning the house. It does get better towards the end. I mean, he becomes a better father and a shittier husband. It's a really bad depiction of black folks. Like, I, don't, I don't know how else to clean it up. But it's, um, it's a bad look. It really is. 
And I was like, I'm surprised Kim Fields did that. Like Mike Epps, it's his brand of humor. Wanda Sykes, it's her brand of humor. Kim Fields, it don't strike me as on brand for her. You're like legendary black. Why are you doing this? She's a very wonderful woman, by the way. I ended up on like a three and a half hour tour of the Capitol with her once. Me, her, John Murray, and maybe like four or five other people. But I don't like this for her. I don't. Oh, what else do I want to talk about? I have Bill Gates on my list of things to talk about. He and his wife, Melinda, they've been married for 27 years. They announced they were getting a divorce. They said, quote, we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. The Gates net worth is $128.3 billion. Bill Gates is fourth on the list of the world's wealthiest people. So with their divorce, their high profile divorce, people have been digging into what exactly is the cause of this divorce. So now stories are coming out basically about Bill Gates being a whole hoe. Whole ho. Um, Wall Street Journal reported over the weekend that in 2019, a Microsoft engineer, a woman, she sent a letter to the company's board about the sexual relationship that she'd been having with Bill Gates over the years. The years. The woman demanded changes in her job, and she also asked that Gates' wife, Melinda, read her letter, which is a really fucking crazy request. The journal was unable to confirm whether the letter was given to Mrs. Gates. So again, this letter came in 2019. A Microsoft spokesperson responded and said that there was an affair 20 years ago, but nothing since. The New York Times alleges, can't say determined, alleges that that is a lie. The New York Times has a story about two instances where Gates, quote, clumsily asked out women who worked for him at Microsoft and at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Sir, are you working a job that has you and your wife's name in the title and seeking to cheat with women working for that foundation? Oh, that's some nigga shit. So the New York Times specifically refers to those two incidents and they talk about more recent incidents in which Gates created, quote, an uncomfortable workplace environment. His personal life was gossip fodder among employees. Hmm. That's messy. And it's kind of crazy this is coming to light. Sir, you're cheating in your work pool, which is a sexual harassment claim waiting to happen. Like, sir, you're actively trying to fuck up your company's money. Why? Also, you got $128.3 billion. You can't spare a, a million or two or three to get women to sign NDA so this shit never comes to light. I don't, I don't understand. You cheat on your wife with these women, which means you are a man of low character. But these women know that you're married and are cheating with you, which also makes them of low character. But you expect people of low character to cover you, protect you, ride for you, not run to the press about you? Like, what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? I don't get it. NDAs exist for a reason. Why are you not using them? I know you got a team of lawyers. They're there to protect your ass. You got publicists? I'm sure you do. Because there's a spokesperson mentioned in this article. You didn't think that maybe you should pay people to shut the fuck up? 
my really good friend, I would name her, but she's a very behind the scenes person. She's very bottom line. And one of her favorite sayings is cut the check. Like whenever she hears stories about these high profile situations in which men with, with so much means end up with stories like this in the press. And she was like, he's here because he didn't want to cut the check. You didn't want to cut the check. Now you're being publicly embarrassed. You're an upstanding man. People think of you as a businessman. Now they sit up here talking about your sexual escapades with your subordinates. She said the same thing about Jeff Bezos. All them texts that got leaked. I want to get a little drunk with you. Not too drunk. Just a little. I always remember that line for some reason. I think it's kind of like slightly filthy. I think that's why I like it. But again, I shouldn't know about Jeff Bezos text. The reason I know about Jeff Bezos text to his mistress is because Jeff Bezos did not cut the check. Had Jeff Bezos cut a fucking check, none of that information would have been in the news. You did some fucked up shit. We all do. Some of us can't afford to keep our shit on the low. Some of us don't have the courage to be like, hey, I'm fucked up. I do fucked up shit. Jeff Bezos, you could have paid your way out of that shit. Bill Gates, you could have paid your way out of this shit. Your affairs should not be in the Wall Street Journal. They are because you did that reckless shit and then you didn't want to cut the check to get people to shut the fuck up about it. I have no empathy here, at least not for him. My empathy is with his wife. I hope she gets her rightful half. And I say rightful because they've been married for 20. And I say rightful because they've been married for 27 years with three kids. 27 years? You've been with him from the beginning. Run that lady a check. Run that lady her rightful check. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, her name on the shit. Run her her rightful check. That's all I'm saying. I hope she gets her rightful money and ain't got to be too stressed out to obtain it. To get the half into an account with only her name on it. I wish Melinda Gates well. I hope she does like Bezos' wife. Bezos' wife has been giving money away, like to everybody. She gave some money to HBCUs. Does she like earmark like $100 million for HBCUs? The Gates like to give money away. I hope they keep giving more. I need some. Let me hold $20. (laughs) Oh. Speaking of sexual harassment, which is no laughing matter. I don't follow Joe Budden very closely. Like, I remember him. Let's see. Pump, 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 pump it up. I went to Miami with my dad once. And we ended up at some party. Don't ask questions about that. Just ride with the story. My dad and I ended up at this party and we're standing next to each other. And my dad starts dancing to that song. And I was like, what are you doing? And he just like looked at me and just like kept dancing. So I just started dancing too. I don't think this is what Luther meant when he said dance with your father. But that's us. That is, that's how me and my dad do. That is my favorite memory of Joe Budden's music. But he's, he's a rapper and then he went on to do reality TV And then he got this podcast and I remember his podcast being a big deal and everyone talking about it. And I remember he got that deal with Spotify and I don't know the details of it and don't care to look them up, but it was perceived as very lucrative and as a very big deal. So Joe Budden has had this podcast. I've never listened to an episode. I've just been following what's been happening in the news over like the, over the last week. He's been having ongoing issues with the two co-hosts of his show And he fired them on the podcast last week. So there's been a big back and forth about them being kicked off the show. Dave responded. He's responded back. He apologized for at least how he fired one of them. That's not really the story that I'm most interested in. Olivia Dope, a really popular DJ. Um, I've known her for a while now. She was the DJ for the launch party, the New York launch party for Don't Waste Your Pretty 
It was the second launch. The actual launch party was in D.C. Usually when I launch things, I do it in D.C. first just because that's home. But she was the DJ for that party, and that's how we were introduced. Really cool woman. Um, followed her career. She has blown up. But she had a podcast that was a part of the Joe Budden network of podcasts. It was her and two other women who were the hosts of the show. Unfortunately, I did not listen to her podcast. I did know that she ended the podcast a few months ago, and I didn't know why. I didn't know that there was anything to look into. But she made um, a bombshell announcement this morning on IG Live, which she explained why she stopped working with Joe Budden and why she did so abruptly. And it was because of workplace sexual harassment. She did an IG Live that was about 20, 25 minutes. In excruciating detail, she went through the sexual harassment that she'd encountered from Joe Budden while working with him. There was one specific episode of her podcast, Joe Budden came on the show, and he states at the beginning that we don't have any history. We don't, we've never texted. We've never called. Like, I don't really know you, which sets the tone for everything that comes after. During this interview exchange, and I'm not going to, I can't list all the details. Otherwise, I'd just be replaying all 25 minutes of what she said. But she was like, he told me that he wanted to fuck me multiple times. And she lists the timestamps of, of when this occurred. She was like, this is all recorded on audio and video. It was edited, the final version. He talked about her breath. He talked about her relationship status. He compared the two other women that she works with. She was like, they're not as sexy as you or they don't dress as sexy as you. Crazy shit like that. She said she was uncomfortable the whole time. She was like, I tried to like, you know, giggle and, and laugh it off and, and switch subjects and all of those things because I'm not trying to like, you know, be the Debbie Downer, ruin the mood of the podcast, overreact. Any woman who's been in that situation, which I have on multiple occasions, especially in my early 20s, in the moment, you're just kind of thinking the same way, almost like you encounter street harassment. You're just like, okay, if I just, you know, smile, brush it off. Thank you. I'm not interested, whatever. Just keep on about my business. Just focus on what I'm supposed to do. They'll drop it and then go away. Like they'll pick up on the cues. Like I'm not interested and they'll just move on. Sometimes they do. And then sometimes like Joe Budden, they don't. There was something else she detailed. So they record these episodes that go on for like, I guess like two and a half, three hours or so. They had a break. She was wherever she was. He came to check in with her and was like, yo, you good? And so she was like, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, for the next half, I'm going to lighten the mood or whatever. We're going to go in a different direction. And so then they come back and he starts saying crazy shit again. Maybe he read the room at some point. He decides that everyone should have a hug. They should all hug it out for whatever reason. So he hugs one co-host. It's fine. He hugs another co-host. It's fine. She was like, I really didn't want to hug him. Because, like, at this point, he said all these things about, like, wanting to fuck me, about my breast. She was like, again, I'm trying not to make waves because, like, he's Joe Budden and, like, I'm just trying to do this podcast, do my job and go home. Like, I'm really not trying to deal with this shit. She was like, I decided to hug him. And she was like, I'm trying to give him, like, church hug where it's like I'm leaned back. I'm not putting my pelvis on him. Like, I'm not up against him, especially after he just said all these things. They're doing, like, this church hug and he starts air humping her. I was like, in what fucking world is this appropriate? And I was like, there can't possibly be video of this. Like, no one would actually air this shit. Like, it's so clear and so blatant sexual harassment. They must have scrubbed the internet of this, right? 
I watched her video on IG Live maybe 20 minutes after it went up. I went straight to Twitter, typed in her name. The third hit that came up was the video of exactly what she's describing. It's worse than she described. I was like, is there a lawsuit coming? Because there's video and audio evidence. I hope there is. Because no one deserves to be treated like that. And as expected, whenever a woman comes out with a story, especially a black woman against a black man, and says, like, he did some terrible shit, she can have a list of receipts. In this case, audio and video. People will look at his inappropriate behavior. People will hear his inappropriate behavior and their favorite go-to. Well, why now? She sounds like she's clout chasing because Joe Button is in the news because of this situation on his podcast. And now here she comes along with this story. Why she wait till now? Because she felt like it. I like to point out to folks that like, you know, the truth is the truth no matter when you tell it. Whether you tell it in three months, three years, 30 years. If it, did it happen? She's clout chasing. This ain't no clout chasing. Every woman, every black woman especially, who speaks out against a man, especially a black man, knows what's coming. Half of black women are going to be like, oh my God, sis, I'm proud of you. My empathies are with you. I'm sorry that happened to you. That shit happened to me too. You're not alone. The other half of black women and like 90% of black men are going to be like, you're lying. Even if there's blatant evidence, see R. Kelly, see Bill Cosby. Even if there's a long history of you doing fucked up shit, see Joe Budden. They're going to go find every instance where you've been flirtatious with anyone, whether you've worn a short skirt, if you put a picture up in a bikini from the beach, they're going to scrub your whole Instagram. You know it's coming. That's why a lot of women don't speak out. I wrote a whole, I wrote a whole chapter in my second book about a guy who attempted to rape me. He's an OG editor. Everyone knows who he is. Never named him because I don't want to deal with the backlash and the bullshit. A lot of people actually know who it is. I've never said it publicly, but, but privately, I don't hide who it is. And I'm not the only person that he's done it to. I know at least two more women. One was a really good friend, told me in detail. It's like almost the exact same story. Different city. Scary. I've warned other women writers who I know interact with him. But I don't want to deal with the bullshit that comes with speaking out against like a black man. It was a 10-year-old story when I told it in 2011. It's 20 years old now. I don't want to deal with the bullshit. I don't. And that's a choice I have a right to make. And going public is also a choice that a woman has a right to make. I'm glad Olivia spoke up. Good for her. I know she's about to go through it. And my sympathy is with her on that. I hope she got a good lawyer. I'm sorry that she had pain and suffering. But I also hope she can get paid. Compensated. For her pain and suffering. Because that was a lot. I get like the entertainment industry can be very like loose and free. And people get too comfortable. But telling a woman on air like you want to fuck her. Come on. That's too goddamn much. So send a little love if you can, Olivia Dope's way. She's going to need it. She said she was taking a social media hiatus. I hope that she does. When you're the center of like a, a social media story, even if you log off social media, like you really can't because your friends and family and everybody else keep hitting you up in the real world. Like you got to turn off everything, including your phone and your email. Like that's the only way you can really like disassociate. And don't go outside because then people come up to you and be like, are you Olivia Doe? I've lived that life. In line at Target. In line in many places. People love to come up to you in line. Even in line in the bathroom. Have some goddamn boundary, people, please. So that is today's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. We'll speak again later this week. In the meantime, please pick up your T's and V's and mugs on DemetriaLLucas.com. 
And if you need a little ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday's episode, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. Two L's. Don't forget that second L. It's very important. We'll talk again soon. Okay. Bye.